0: Good morning to all of you, to all of our campuses uh, who are with us today and those who are watching online and who will be watching by DV. We are so glad to have you here. I wish you could be in this building with me because I haven't seen my crowd this awake in a year. So thank God for Time Change Sunday when you get to roll back. That's always good, especially if you like football like I do. And did I ever love it last night? Well, have you ever realized, it's interesting, that anytime you go to a doctor, it doesn't matter what you tell him is wrong with you. It can be a cold, it can be a headache, it can be a rash... You can tell him your toe hurts, your finger hurts. It doesn't matter. There's one thing that doctor is always going to do. He's going to take a little instrument called a stethoscope, and he's going to put that over your chest, and he's going to listen to your heart. Now, I've always wondered, Doc, it's not my heart, it's my finger. It's not my heart, it's my toe. It's not my heart, it's my head. But he's always going to put that stethoscope to your chest. He's going to listen to your heart. Now, why does he do that? Because doctors are taught early in medical training that there is no vital organ in the body that can tell him more pretty quickly about the state of your health than just listening to your heart. Now, your heart is more important to God for a different reason. I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm talking about the heart that is the essence of you, who you really are. I'm talking about uh, the spiritual side of you the emotional side of you, the mental side of you. For example, that's why we'll say about certain people, boy, he's got a hard heart. We don't mean he's got arteriosclerosis. He may, but that's not what we mean. He has a, she has a cold heart. Uh, He has a warm heart. We're not talking about the physical organ. We're talking about the person. And both physically and spiritually, one of the greatest barometers of a person's health is their heart. Now, that said, I'm gonna tell you something I have learned both in scripture and by experience as a pastor. The greatest test, by far and away, nothing else is even close. The greatest test of the spiritual and emotional and the mental condition of your heart is money, period. That is the greatest test of where you are spiritually where you are emotionally, where you are mentally. Now, I know that may sound materialistic, but I want you to just consider that Jesus, the one who cared more about hearts than any other human in history, Jesus, who came because he wants to live in your heart, Jesus talked more about money than any other subject. Now, let me tell you something I know and I get it. Money is important to us. I'll let you know a little secret. Money's important to me. Money's important to you. And you know what? That's okay. You say, well, I I can't believe you would say that. Why shouldn't it be important to us? It's important to God, except for a different reason. You say, wait a minute. How do you know money's important to God? Well, I'll just give you a quick illustration. Go to the Bible and look up every verse you'll find about prayer, you'll find about 500 verses. Go to the Bible, look up every verse about faith, you'll find about 500 verses. Go to the Bible and look up money. There are over 2,000 verses on money. God talks twice as much about money in the Word of God as He does about faith and He does about prayer put together. But that raises a question. You say, but, but Pastor, why is money so important to God? Well, let's get some things straight. It's not because God needs it. It's because He owns everything, right? It's not even because God wants it. I mean, think about it. What's God going to spend it on? I mean, it's not because He needs it, not because He wants it. The reason why God talks about money so much. And the reason why money is so important to God is because there's not a greater barometer of the health of your heart than the way that you see money. Because the way you see money, believe it or not, it will affect every part of your life. It will affect your marriage. It will affect the way you relate to your kids. It will affect the way you do business. It will affect the way you work. It will affect every single part of your life, especially your relationship to God. Now, we all know, and if you don't know this, let me inform you, it's a well-known fact, that the number one problem in troubled marriages is money. It's always at the top of the list. And I know money's a big deal. People go to prison because of money. People cheat on their income taxes because of money. People steal and murder because of money. Husbands and wives and parents and kids and even lifelong friends argue and divide over money. I've said all that to say this. When something is done right, when something is managed well, when something is excellent, when something turns out the way it should, we have a little phrase, we call it right on the money. So we're beginning a series today which I really believe is going to be one of the most helpful, practical, important series we're ever going to hear. Let me tell you why. Here's the cold hard fact. Most of us are not right on the money. Most of us. Are not right on the money and when you're not right on the money you can't be right with God but when you are right with God you will be right on the money you say wait a minute how do you know most of us are not right on the money well here's the truth we now know that most Americans and most Christians are just not real good at managing money some of us are good at making it but not as many of us are really good at managing it or the way we spend it Now, don't take my word for it listen to this According to the National Association for Retail Marketing, this is is not what I say. According to the National Association for Retail Marketing, you ready for this? We spend $480 billion a year on disposable items. Those are items you use one time or maybe two or three times you throw them away. Razors, batteries, sandwich bags, paper cups. Every person spends, on average, per person, we spend $1,600 a year on things that we use one time. Throw it away. Hey, how many of you have a cell phone? Hold your hand up. Got a cell phone, all right? If you don't have a cell phone, get with it, all right? If you don't have a cell phone, you're probably still riding horse and buggy. Everybody don't have a cell phone. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a cell phone. You ready for this? We spend $500 million a year. Did you hear me now? We spend 500 Hundred million dollars a year on ringtones. I mean, think about that. We spend 800 million dollars a year on non-essential items. You say, what's that? Clothes for your dogs. <laughs> pet rocks. Banana holders. Wall-mounted fish that can sing. I'm not making this up. Take an event we just celebrated, Halloween. You ready for this? We spent in 2016, just on Halloween costumes for our children, $1 billion. Now you say, wow, that's big. Oh, it's worse than that. You adults. (laughs) We spent $1.2 million on adult costumes. I can say, listen, some of you don't need one. Okay, now look. We spent $310 million on costumes for our dogs and our cats. In 2016, just finished, we spent $8.4 billion on Halloween. Yet, one out of three Americans have saved this much money for their retirement. That goes for half of all millennials and Gen Xers, zero. Now, here's the good news. When it comes to money, God wants you right on the money. And since God owns all the money and God provides all the money, here's what God does. He's done us a big favor. He says, listen, I want to help you leverage the money that you have to be a blessing and not a burden. I want to tell you how to master your money rather than allowing your money to master you. So let me tell you what we're going to do over the next three weeks, okay? Now, I want you to trust me on this. Let me just stop right there. I've talked a lot about money, believe it or not. Beginning right now, we're not going to really talk very much about money the rest of the three weeks. Okay, we're really not. I mean, third week, we'll come back to it a little bit because this really isn't about money. This is a lot bigger than money. Here's what I did. I went to, to my computer, and I Googled, and I said, okay, what are the top verses that people Google, that people tweet, that people text, that people bookmark and earmark, that people know, that people memorize? What are the top verses about money that people look at in the Bible? Okay. So I found the top 5 and I said, you know, I'm just going to take the top 3 and when I looked at the top 3 it blew my mind because I I realized, you know what? If we just believe and practice and obeyed what those 3 verses tell us, God guarantees us we will be right on the money. So it all begins today today with what we're going to call the right approach. I want to tell you today how to take the right approach to money. If you brought a copy of God's word, or you've got the cell phone, or you've got the iPad, or whatever you do, I want you to turn in a book in the Bible called Philippians. Now, if you don't know where that is, I can help you. It's in the New Testament. It's about, um, I'll just go through the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and 2 Corinthians. Then it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So it's about seven or eight or nine books over. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look today at what many people believe is not just a great promise. There are many people who believe that of all the promises in the Bible, this is the greatest promise in the entire Bible. you know why they believe that? Because they believe that if this promise really means what it says, it really includes in that one promise all the other promises that are found in the Bible itself. I do know this. It is absolutely one of the most familiar promises you'll find anywhere. I see them on T-shirts. I see them on billboards. People have them up in their homes on little plaques. I mean, many of you already know this. But if you don't know it, let me share it with you. We're in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Listen to this. Paul said, a man named Paul, he knew what he was talking about because he had needs. He said, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read it again. It's so big. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to let that settle in for a moment. I'm going to make this statement. You can't disagree with this. Whether or not you buy into that, and some of you don't. Let's just be honest. Some of you don't believe it. That's fine. But whether or not you believe that and buy into it will determine whether or not you're a master of your money or a slave to your money. It comes down to that. If you don't believe this, you're going to be a slave to your money, and you ought to be. I don't blame you, because you want to meet your needs. But if you believe that verse, you will be a master over your money. Whether or not you believe that verse right there, whether or not you believe that verse right there, it doesn't, if you really believe that verse, it will determine how you look at money It will determine what you think about money. It will determine how you handle money. And that one verse tells us how to be right on the money in the way that we approach money. And Paul says three simple little things I want you to write down today if you're taking notes uh, that, that I want you to remember. Because if you will do these three things, at least you can say, well, at least I know I'm approaching money the right way. All right, number one, we need to see the God who meets our needs. First thing I want you to do, we need to see the God who meets our needs. Now, the first two words of this promise tells us all that we need to know why we can be 100% confident this verse is true. The first two words tell us all we need to know that we can be 100% confident that this promise will be kept. Listen to this. And, say those two words with me. Say it again. My My God. Paul's specific. He said, and my God. My God, I don't know about your God, but my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's very specific. He said, look, I'm not talking about some God. I'm not talking about a God. I'm not talking about the God of the week or the God of the month or the God of the year. I'm not talking about the God de jour. I'm not talking about the God of the day. I'm not talking about whichever God you prefer. I'm talking about my God. I'm not talking about it. any God will do as long as you sincerely believe in that God kind of a God. And if you'd been living 2,000 years ago, Paul would have said to all those Romans, I'm not talking about your Roman gods. And Paul would have said to all the Greeks, I'm not talking about all your Greek gods. I'm talking about my God. I'm being very, very specific. Paul says, I'm talking about the God that's revealed in this book. I'm talking about the God who wrote this book so what god was he talking about he was talking about the god who just spoke and a universe came into existence he's talking about a god who just spoke and suns begin to shine and moons begin to glow and worlds begin to turn and planets begin to go into orbit We're talking about the God who can part Red Seas. We're talking about the God who can enable a virgin to give birth to a divine baby. We're talking about the God who can raise a crucified Savior from the dead. Paul says, hey, my God can meet all of your needs. What God is that? He's omniscient. He already knows what your needs are. This God is omnipotent. He not only knows what you need, he has what you need he's omnipresent he's always there to meet your need you can't name a need God can't meet in your weaknesses In your weakness God says I'll tell you what I'll be your strength in your ignorance God says I'll be your wisdom in your sorrow God says I'll be your comfort in your mortality God says I'll be your life in your loneliness God says I will be your friend you will never approach money right until you approach God right. And you'll never know how to relate to money until you know how to relate to God. And you'll never be right on the money until you're right with the God that provides your money. And you'll never be right with God until you really believe that the God that can speak a world into existence, the God that can part a Red Sea and raise his son from the dead, the God that can do anything, that God can meet your needs. When you believe that, when you finally say, you know what, I get it, I believe it totally will change the way you approach money. All right, so number 1, you've got to see the God who will meet your needs. Number 2, Paul says, you've got to be sure that God will meet our needs. It's not enough not enough just to see the God that will meet our needs. You've got to be sure that God will meet our needs. Now, what I want to do is kind of break this promise down word by word because this verse, this is why this verse is so great. Because every word of God, I believe, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but especially this verse because every word is so important. Now, listen to this. We're going to say these together. And my God, what's those two words? Say it again. We'll meet. All right. My God will meet all your needs according to the rich of his glory in Christ Jesus. It's not that God says, well, I'll meet some of your needs fully. It's not that God says, um, I'll meet all of your needs partially. God says, I will fully meet all your needs. Well, that raises a question, and it's a fair question. wait a minute. How do I know that God's got in the warehouse what's on display in the showroom? Have you, ever been, have you ever done this? Have you ever been to, I call it the bait and switch? Have you ever walked into a store and you saw something you really wanted, and you go into that store and you want to buy it, and they go, you know what? We don't have that in stock, but we'd like to show you this. You ever had that happen? Does that just burn you up? If I, if I wanted that, I wouldn't come in here. I this just what you had. I want that one. We don't have that anymore. So how do you know that God has in the warehouse what he just plays in the showroom? All right, now we're going to read the verse again, different emphasis. And my God will meet, what's what's those words? All All your needs, right? He will meet all your needs, all right? It's not that God will meet some of them fully or all of them partially. He says, I'll fully meet all your needs. But how do we know He'll do that? We're going to read it again. Watch this. Next verse. And my God will meet all your needs, now say this with me, according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Let's say these words again. According to the riches of his glory. Now let me stop right there. So how rich is that? How rich is that? How much are we talking about here? According to the riches of his glory. We're talking about the God who owns it all. We're talking about the God that holds the title deed to the universe. Let let, let me me give you some great news. If you ever bring any need to God's storehouse ever, You'll never hear these three words, out of stock. Never hear that. You cannot think of a need, and you cannot invent a need that God cannot meet. And let me tell you why this is so big. God said, I'm going to meet your needs not out of my riches, but according to my riches. You say, what's the difference? Oh, man, there's a big difference. Let me give you an illustration. I want you to imagine that you've lost your job, and I want you to imagine you're dead broke. I mean, you are just dead broke. You're like the Clintons when they left the White House. You're just dead broke. All right, just a joke, just a joke. Don't get mad. You're dead broke. You got no money, none, zero, okay? You got mortgage payments. You're gonna lose your house. You got your utilities have been turned off. You can't buy any groceries. I mean, your very life is at stake. Your kids are gonna starve to death, but you've got this rich multimillionaire uncle. Just, just think about this, okay? You got this rich uncle. So you go to that rich uncle and you say, hey, uncle, I'm sucking air here, man. I've lost my job. I'm six months behind on my house payment. Uh, Can't pay my utilities. They've shut all my utilities off. We can't even buy groceries for our kids. He says, oh, man, let me help you. And he reaches into his pocket and he gives you a $10 bill, okay? Now, what has he done? He is giving you out of what he has, okay? He's got all this money, so out of what he has, he gives you $10, but Let's suppose he looks at you and he says, really? And he gets out a checkbook. And He doesn't just write you a check for one mortgage payment. He pays off your entire mortgage. Wow. Suppose he writes you another check and he gives you enough money to buy groceries for a year. Suppose he writes another check and he pays off all your credit card debt and all the car loans that you have. As a matter of fact, let's suppose he says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and deposit money in your bank account. I want to pay for the kids' college education when they graduate from high school. Now what did he do? He didn't give out of what he had. He gave according to what he had. And every time you go to God with your needs, you'll never be turned away because of insufficient funds. You'll never be turned away because the storehouse is empty. You'll never be turned away because the supply has run dry. Because God Never runs out of resources. He says, I'm going to meet your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. You talk about encouraging. I read this the other day when I was preparing this message. You talk about a pastor being encouraged. Listen to this statement. There will always be enough of everything we need to do, all God wants us to do, as long as he wants us to do it. There will always be enough of everything we need to do, all God wants us to do, as long as he wants us to do it. Now, that raises, again, another question. Why is all this possible? I mean, really and truly, I'm not going to doubt that God can do it or maybe that God will do it. But but when you get to the bottom line, why is this possible? How does this really work? Okay, read the last phrase. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. Say it again. In In Christ Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Why does Paul put that in there? I mean, he could have just stopped right there. He said, look, I'm going to meet all your according to riches of my glory. Why does he throw those words in there? Here's why. What God was saying was, I want you to know that the one reason you can always be guaranteed in your heart and never have to worry that I will meet all of your needs is because of Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Why is that? Well, what's, what's Jesus got to do with this? you know what the greatest need people have today is? I'm talking about poor people, hungry people, starving people, sick people. Yeah, I, I get it. They, they need food and, and, and they need they need healing and, and, and they need, you know, money. I, I get all that. That's not our greatest need. The greatest need the human race has is forgiveness because we're all sinners and the greatest we need, need we have is a savior. That's the greatest need we have. And here's what God is saying. You ready for this? God said, look, if I have met the greatest need that you have, don't you think I'll meet every other need? If I met the number one need that you've got, you need forgiveness. You need a Savior. You need eternal life. Well, if I've met that need, don't you think I'll meet every other need? Well, God, who gave us His only Son, withhold from us everything else we need. As a matter of fact... In another book, Paul asked the same question. Paul said, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So here's what I want to ask you to do right now. You've got a need. I'll guarantee you if I were to walk down this room, everybody in this room has a need. Everybody. I've got needs. Everybody in this room has a need. If you've got a need right now, there are two disciplines that I want you to start developing right now. First discipline is this: I want you to begin thanking God. I want you to begin thanking God. You say, "Wait a minute! Thank God for what?" All right, gonna shock you. Thank God that you have a need. Say what? I want you to thank God that you have a need. Pastor, why should I do that? Because every need you have is a God-given opportunity for you to watch God show himself strong in your behalf and meet that need. Every need that you have is a God-given opportunity for you to step up to the plate and grow your faith and let God know, I totally trust you to meet that need. You thank God, and then that leads to the second step, trusting God. I mean, Right now, you've got, I want you right now, believe that God keeps his promise. Believe that God will meet your need and grow your faith. You know what some of you need to do right now, seriously? You need an attitude adjustment. How many of you, let me ask you a question, you've got a need. How many of you have ever griped and griped and griped and complained and moaned and groaned about that need and that took care of your need? How'd that work out for you? There are some of you here today. You need to. You need listen. You need to quit griping about your need. You need to start gripping this promise that God will meet that need. Amen. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now. I'm ahead of you. That's why I do what I do. Because I'm always sitting. When I work on a sermon, I'm always thinking about. Okay, I'm always thinking about the most negative person out there. Okay, like Richard Dodson. <laughs> I'm always thinking about the most negative guy out there. You say, why is he negative? He's a Florida Gator. That's all you need to know. He's negative. All right. Now look. Somebody out there right now, I know exactly what you're saying, and you're just, you're kind of, you could fry an egg on your head right now. You're going, well, I've got a need God hadn't met. So what do you say to that, Pastor? I've got a need, and I've asked God to meet that need, and God has not met that need. All right? If, if you've got a need that God has not met, one of three things I guarantee you is true. You ready? Maybe you don't need it. I mean, that is a possibility because, remember, we, we, we here's what we think that verse said. God will meet all of my greed. That's not what the verse says. God will meet all of my needs. God's never promised to give you all that you want or everything you want. He has promised to give you what you need. So, possibility one is maybe you don't really need it. Here's another, possibility number two. Then God will meet it or else God would lie. If you've got a real need, God will meet it. Maybe he hasn't met it yet, but he will because he always does. But then there's a third possibility which is going to lead to our last point. You ready for this? Watch this now. Maybe we need to meet someone else's need first. You You've thought about that? Maybe God says, you know, I want to meet your need, but there's a need you had not met yet. I want you to meet that need. Because let me show you the third thing I want you to take. the third attitude adjustment we need. If we're going to approach our money right, we need to see the God who provides for our needs. We need to be sure that God will provide our needs. And here's the last thing. We need to share with God who meets our needs. We need to share with God who meets our needs. Share with the God that meets our needs. Now, let me just stop right here. This is not just a name it and claim it verse. There are things we've got to do if we're going to put ourselves in a position where God is willing to meet our needs. Some people are not willing to do that. I read the story the other day. There was a young girl, and she got engaged, so she brought her you know, fiancé home to meet her parents for the first time. So, you know, the dad invited the young man into a study to have the talk. You know what I'm talking about? About got to have the talk, right? So this young man goes into the study and sits down, and so the dad looked at him. He said, well, son, he said, well, what are your plans? And the boy said, well, sir, right now, uh, I'm, I'm a biblical scholar. And the dad said, well, man, that's great. He said, so, um, well, how do you plan to earn a living? He said, well, I'm just going to study my Bible and God will provide. And the dad said, well, how do you plan to buy an engagement ring for my daughter? He said, well, I'm just going to study my Bible and God will provide. He said, well, how are you going to support her and support the children that you're going to have? Oh, he said, I'm not worried about that. I'm just going to study my Bible and God will provide. And it didn't matter what that dad said, same answer. I'm just going to study my Bible, and God will provide. Well, later that evening, the girl's mother asked the dad, she said, well, how did the conversation go? He said, well, basically, he has no plans. He has no job. He has no plan to get a job, and he thinks I'm God. Now, <laughs> if you want God to meet your needs, You've got to put yourself in a position where God will meet those needs because understand who Paul was writing these words to. This is important now. You don't know this, I'm going to tell you. The reason why Paul wrote this letter was to express his gratitude and thanksgiving for the the financial support that the Philippian church had sent him when he was in prison and he had no money and he desperately needed help. So he says this back up in verse 14. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. What he's talking about was his financial condition. He didn't have any money. He was broke. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church, listen to this, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Listen to what Paul said. Paul wrote this letter because he said, you know what, of all the churches I have founded, of all the churches I've built, of all the churches I've raised up, of all the churches I've preached to and ministered to, you're the only church that sent me any money. This was the only church that stood by Paul and met a need in his life. And you've got to understand why this was a big deal. Philippi was a blue-collar town. Wasn't a lot of money in Philippi. This church was a poor church. This church didn't have any rich people in it. And furthermore, they were in the middle of a big economic depression. The economy was horrible. They were in a great famine. Poverty was everywhere. They didn't have very much, and yet they sent food and they sent clothing and they sent money to Paul that really they could have used for themselves, but they shared it with him anyway. And their gift was such a blessing to him. And here's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, I know my God's going to meet all of your needs. You know how I know that? Because you have met all of my needs. And he is going to give to you because you have given to me. But listen to this. He goes on to say this. It gets better. He says, it's not that I desire your gift. In other words, he said, what really blesses me and what really thrills me is not the paycheck that you sent me. It's not the clothes you sent. It's not the food that you sent. I'm grateful for that. But that's not what really gets me so excited. He said it's what I desire is that more be credited to your account Now that's kind of weird what in the world did he mean by that here's a church that didn't have very much gave out of what little they had probably had to do without so he could not do without and then he says oh by the way you know why I'm so grateful for what you've given to me because my big desire is is that more be credited to your account now my question is what in the world did Paul mean by that? That more be credited to your account. All right, listen to this. That word for credited, this is big to me because I'm an accountant. That word for credited, it's a banking term, and it literally means to make compound interest on an investment. What he was talking about was God meeting their needs because they had met his needs. And see, here's what I want you to understand. This is so big. Paul said, when you give to God, and you give to God's work, you're not just blessing others. You're blessing yourself. Because God will give back to you more than you give to him, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. And Paul said, but it will be credited. This extra interest will be credited to your account. In other words, what Paul was saying was, you know what? This God is not only going to meet your needs because of what you've done, This God is also going to reward you in the future for what you have done. And then he says this in verse 18. I've received full payment, and I have more than enough. He says, oh, you've been so good to me. He said, thank you for what you've done. I am amply supplied. Now watch this. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now this is so beautiful. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to me. No, pleasing to who? Pleasing to God. Now, did you see what he just said? Did you hear what he just said? He said, our offerings and our gifts and what we contribute to God's work is not just something that God sees. Listen to this. He said, it is something that God smells. When you give an offering, God smells it. When, when you sacrifice, when you do without, when you, when you f- decide by faith, I'm going to start giving to God's work. It's hard. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't have a lot of money at the end of the month. But you know what? I believe God's going to meet my needs, and I'm going to step out by faith. I'm going to start giving to God's work. The Bible says it's like a perfume. It's like a fragrance in the nostrils of God. See, when you give, when you, you, you don't just get a twofer. When you give, you get a threefer. Here's what happens when you give, all right? Number one, giving blesses the gifted. Now, we know that, right? We know giving blesses the gifted. In other words, when you give someone something, you bless them, right? When you receive something, you're blessed, okay? So when you give someone, you bless the gifted. We know that. But then secondly, giving blesses God. Giving fills the nostrils of God with a sweet fragrance and brings a smile to his face. Because when you get an offering to God, God looks at you and God says, you're trusting me, aren't you, to meet your needs? Yes, Lord, I am. And you're obeying me because you know I want you to give. Yes, Lord, I am. And God looks at you and he says, you know what? Nothing brings a smile to my face more than when you just trust me and obey me. So giving blesses the, gift, the, the gifted. Giving blesses God. But listen to this. Giving is a blessing to the giver. Because when you give to God in God's work, and you meet the needs of other people, you're investing in eternity, and God says it will bear interest forever. So, let me just say this. Here's how you can give now. I mean, now. You can give now. You can begin with giving God 10% of the 100% He has given you to meet your needs. Now, let me just stop. Some of you may say, Pastor, I'm already doing that. I mean, I I believe it. I get it. I'm, I'm already doing that. Well, then if you're already doing that, maybe the next step for you is give an offering. Give an offering to Be More. By the way, your offerings to Be More is going to enable us to build this new children's building, which we hope to start next month or the month after. It's going to help us to build that children's building completely debt-free because of your giving. You can give to Benevolence, who helps those in financial need, and you can give electronically on our website or or, or by text. So you could start doing that right now. But here's the question. Now, we're going to wrap all this up. Here's the question now I want all of us to ask. I I want you to be honest. You're not, nobody knows what your answer is, but let's just be. Honest. I want you. I want you to ask this question. If you're not giving to God to meet the needs of others, can you tell me why God should meet your needs? I mean, I, I'd like to hear your answer. I don't. I don't mean out loud, but I really would. If you're not giving to others to meet their needs, can you just tell me one reason then why you should expect God to meet your needs? Now you'll never have the right approach to money. Or by the way, you'll never have the right approach to anything you think you have or think you own until you really believe that it is God who always meets your needs. And until you believe that, you will not be a master over your money. You will be a slave to it. You won't be right on the money. You'll be wrong on the money. And here's why. It's real simple. If you don't believe that God will meet all your needs, then there's only one person left to meet your needs. Who is that? You. So if you believe, oh, no, God's not going to meet my needs. I'm on my own, then you're going to look at money a certain way. You're going to approach your money a certain way. But the day you wake up and you say, wait a minute, God's going to meet my needs. He can't lie. He's God. I can trust him for my needs. You know, and by the way, let me just, I I got a volume in my notes, and I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's just too good to leave out. Can I tell you how I know God will meet your needs? Because he's meeting, at least physically speaking, the greatest needs you have right now. Because you know what the two greatest needs you have right now, right, sitting right here in this room? You Come up here. You're a big strapping guy. You're on my side, right? Yep. Thank God. All right, you're my right tackle. You need to go to Georgia. All right, big guy, works out, big strong, right? Okay, I used to be like you and I got sick. This big guy, strong, could break me in half with his little finger, right? Let me tell you this. There's two things he's got to have right now. Or he's toast. He's got to have a beat to his heart and breath in his lungs or he's dead man, right? Yes. So you know what I know, thanks, buddy. You know what I know? Right now, he wasn't even thinking about it, I'm sure. God's beating his biggest knees right now. God's beating your biggest knees right now. Because if God wasn't, you'd be dead. So if I know that God's meeting my biggest need right now, I know that God will meet my needs anywhere, anytime, anyplace. So think about this. This, this, this will be worth coming for. I didn't know this until I worked on this message. When Thomas Jefferson commissioned Lewis and Clark to explore the rest of the country, go to the Pacific, he called them to, he called them to Washington, D.C. to meet with them. Now, he didn't, they, didn't, they didn't know where they were going. Nobody had ever been to the Pacific before. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know if they'd make it. They didn't know if they'd live. So he calls him to the White House and he says, look, I know you're going to be without money. I know you're going to be without clothes. I know you're going to be without provisions. But he said, I want you to know I've already provided for you. Now listen to this. This is so great. He gave to Meriwether Lewis a letter of credit, authorizing him to draw on any agency of the United States government anywhere in the world for anything he wanted. Now this is what he wrote on this letter. I want you to read that. This is just unbelievable what he did. Listen to this. I also ask, this is a letter of credit he gave to Meriwether Lewis. I also ask of the consuls, agents, merchants, and citizens of any nation to furnish you with those supplies which your necessities may call for and to give more entire satisfaction and confidence to those who may 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 be disposed to aid you, I, Thomas Jefferson, President of the United States of America, have written this letter of general credit for you with my own hand and signed it with my name. Do you understand what he just did, what he did uh, 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 almost 200 years ago, over 200 years ago? In its final dated version, July the 4th, 1803, he gave the most unlimited line of credit ever issued by anyone to anyone in the history of the world. In effect, what he gave Lewis and Clark was a blank check on the United States of America. You think they worried about clothes? You think they worried about food? You think they worried about anything? They had everything they need before they even walked out the door. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Are you ready for this? We have a line of credit from the God who owns everything. We got an open line of credit, open line. Never runs out, never runs dry. And here's what this God has said today. If you will see me as the one who meets your needs, if you'll be sure that I will meet your needs, and if you will share with me and others out of what I've given you to meet the needs of others, you can rest assured I will meet all of your needs always all of your life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and we're finished. I want you to lay aside what your accountant tells you. And I want you to lay aside what the stock market tells you. And I want you to lay aside what the economy tells you. I want you to lay aside what your emotions tell you. I want you to lay aside what your greed tells you. And I want you to listen to what God's telling you. I will meet all your needs according to my riches in glory in Christ Jesus and it's signed in the blood of his son. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's pray together. Heads bowed and eyes closed.